Good morning. That's my favorite video so far. I think it's such a, a powerful, vivid picture of the wonder of Christmas when we think about the Good Shepherd. Not only was a Savior born in Bethlehem that night, our Good Shepherd finally arrived. The angelic announcement to the shepherds, I think, for me, has always been one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story. I'm not sure what your favorite part or which uh, parts of that Christmas story your heart is drawn to, but this one, for me, uh, has always fascinated me. It's always uh, uh, intrigued my mind, but also my heart. And hopefully, as we dig into the story together this morning, you'll understand why. Would you join me in Luke chapter 2? I want to read this story with you from Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. That night, well, what night are we talking about? We're talking about the night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That night, there were shepherds staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, an understandable reaction. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you, listen to this, good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. What an incredible story. What an incredible message from heaven. Good news of great joy for everyone. The fact that this incredible message was delivered to shepherds really is proof that the good news of great joy really is for everyone. The shepherds at that particular time period, they were poor. They were, they were the marginalized in society. They, they would have been the guys who had three followers on social media, right? They, they, uh, they were not in the cool crowd. They were like modern day, I put it this way, they're like modern day garbage men. We, we certainly appreciate that there are guys out there collecting the garbage, but boy, we don't really want to go out and give them a big hug when they come and pick up our, our trash. You might be in the cool crowd. You might be someone who's got 
lots of, you know, a great job, you got the car you want, you live in the house uh, that you always dreamed of, lots of money in the bank, uh, you've got maybe influence in the community, you are living your best life, that's great, Jesus came to save you from your sin, Jesus came to rescue you from hell. You not, might be the opposite of that. You might not be in the cool crowd at all. You might be broke, overlooked, underappreciated. Maybe you've got this long rap sheet of mistakes that you are embarrassed about. Okay. Jesus came to rescue you from sin and hell too. And that's the good news of great joy that is for everyone, for you, for me, it's for everyone. This long-awaited Messiah who would make it possible for sinners like you and sinners like me to be made right with God had finally been born into the world. The one who would rescue us from sin and hell had finally arrived after hundreds of years of promised hope. This jingle, though, this, uh, this praise jingle, this choral reading, I don't know that I would qualify it as a song because it's only four lines, but this angel choir had this message, and it's curious to me. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Glory to God in highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That first part, I get. It makes sense to me. Glory to God in the highest is, is pretty easy to understand. God deserves all the glory. But the curious part to me about that statement is the peace part. Peace to men on earth on whom His favor rests. Peace on earth. I think about that. Night. And that message and the time that has elapsed between that night and our current moment that we're experiencing right now. There's not been a lot of peace on earth since that night. So I think, what did that mean then? Peace, peace on earth with men, does it mean something different than my understanding of peace? What about this phrase, for those on whom God's favor rests? Is it only those who, on whom God has favor that experience peace? And if that's the case, then how do I gain God's favor? I want peace in my life. It's a curious phrase. I looked at one of... Uh, one of my favorite Bible scholars, Warren Wiersbe, uh, his thoughts on that particular verse, this announcement. And according to Warren Wiersbe, this, this announcement of a Savior coming to meet man's greatest need, the, the message itself is a message of peace from God. And he talks about, in his commentary, he talks about how the Roman Empire had been at peace uh, with the absence of war since 27 B.C., so like 30 years no war when Jesus was born. But as we all know, the absence of war doesn't guarantee peace in your heart. The absence of war doesn't guarantee peace in your mind, in your relationships. An ancient philosopher from that same time period wrote this, 
While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than outward peace. Isn't that true? We yearn for inward peace. Wearsby also wrote this, which I find fascinating. He, he dives into the, the Jewish uh, concept, the Jewish idea of peace in the original language. And the word for peace in the Jewish language is shalom. Shalom means well-being, it means health, it means prosperity and security and soundness and completeness. It has a lot more to do with character in our lives than it does our circumstances. And you think about life at that time, when when this was going on in, in real time, life was really difficult. Just as it is today, taxes were were high, unemployment was high, the morals were slipping lower and lower, the military state was in total control. That's the world that they were living in. Some of that sounds familiar to us. And he made this observation, Roman law, Greek philosophy, even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of men's hearts. And then he writes this, my favorite part of what he wrote, he wrote, then God's son came. God sent His Son. Peace. You know, a common dictionary definition of peace, a state of tranquility or quiet. Sometimes when there's uh, a lot of people at our house, it's not very quiet, right? And it's just, oh, I just want a little peace, a little quiet. Right? Tranquility, Quiet. Peace can also mean freedom from civil disturbance or war. Peace is a state of security or order within a community. Boy, what was it, two summers ago, something like that? There was not a lot of peace in our cities, a lot of civil dis- disturbance. Freedom from unsettling thoughts or emotion. Peace can also mean harmony in personal relationships. It's a pretty good definition. You think about peace and, and, and this, this promise of peace, this declaration of peace. We, we have this hope as believers, as Christians, we have this, this hope in the promise that Jesus is coming back, right? We believe that promise to be true. And what do we know about that? Well, we know based on God's word that when Jesus comes back, the promise is he will put an end to war. He will put an end to sin, The sin causes civil unrest. Sin is what causes broken relationships. And so we we for sure as Christians, we look forward to the second coming of Jesus to bring eternal and complete peace. But I look at this story and it's pretty clear to me that these angels that night, they were pretty excited about peace to mankind. There was some kind of of peace, some form of peace that they were excited about now, not just in the future. And so I asked myself, what kind of peace did Jesus bring from heaven to you and to me now? Think about all the things that that rob you or rob me of peace in our lives, chaos and tension, stress, 
fighting with people or anxiety about things going on in your life, fear. Think about whatever it was. I don't know what you wrote, right? Think about whatever it was that you wrote on that index card a couple weeks ago and you put it in the empty manger as a way of saying, my hope is in you, Lord. Is it possible that what you wrote on that card and, and fold it up and put in the manger, is, it, is that something that wants to rob you or destroy peace in your life? Might be. What is it about Jesus that replaces those, those unsettling thoughts and emotions that we sometimes have with peace? What is it about Jesus that sustains a state of tranquility despite all the things in your life and in my life that want to destroy peace? The answer, I believe, is found in this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. That's probably one of the reasons why God chose to send the angelic Christmas gram that he did to these shepherds. Jesus would one day grow up and call himself the Good Shepherd. And I want to take you to that passage in John chapter 10. Would you go there with me to John chapter 10? In verse 1, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and, and the sheep recognize his voice, and, and they come to him. He, he calls his own sheep by name and, and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from the stranger because they don't know his voice. Verse 6 is so cool. It says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration, they didn't understand what he meant, so he had to explain it to them. Why? Because we're sheep, because we're dumb. That's why. I don't get it. Explain it to me. So he did. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who, who came before me, they were thieves, they were robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I and the gate, those who come in through me will be saved. Oh, that makes sense. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich, you remember this? And satisfying life. Jesus came to give us abundant life. Verse 11, then he identifies himself. He, he declares himself to be the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And he contrasts himself with bad shepherds, with shepherds that aren't worth following, with shepherds that don't really care about their, their sheep. He says, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand won't do that. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He's not their shepherd. He doesn't really care about them. He doesn't really love them. 
So the wolf attacks and, and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away. He's only working for the money, doesn't really care about the sheep. And I want you to keep that contrast in mind. We're going to come back to it later on. There, are, there, are shepherd, there is a shepherd worth following. There is a shepherd who genuinely loves us. It's Jesus. Spoiler alert. But there are, there are shepherds that some people follow that aren't worth following. He says, I am the good shepherd. I, I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and knows the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. He's looking ahead to uh, when the gospel will be given to the Gentiles. Remember we studied that in the book of Acts. The Father loves me, and, and I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father commanded. So Jesus describes himself, first of all, as the gates to the sheep pen, meaning, of course, the faith in Jesus is the only way to, to the Father, the only way to enter into eternal life. And then Jesus describes himself as the shepherd of the sheep, and the sheep know his voice. They, they follow him. They listen to him. He, he loves them. He knows each one by name. He, he leads them where they need to go, and he gives them abundant life. And he uses this phrase that we're going to use, we're going to keep using throughout the rest of the sermon, this, this title, the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Did you notice that he says that like three or four times? The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He also promised he would raise from the dead, which, which of course he did. And so this picture that he's, that he's painting here, this relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep, he's painting this, this picture of his journey from the manger to the cross to be a sacrificial payment on our behalf, to appease God's wrath against our sin, to pay our sin debt, to take the punishment that we deserve. Jesus paid the full price for God's gift of grace. Jesus paid the full price for God's gift of eternal life that we receive by faith in Jesus. Jesus paid for that with his life. Later, Jesus would tell them how this gospel truth then impacts their lives in the future. So here we have this picture of the gospel, of Jesus the gate, the good shepherd, his relationship with us through faith in him. Right? The, the salvation that we, uh, from sin, from, from hell, that we experience through faith in Him. And then in chapter 14, would you go there? He talks to them about how that, that gospel message, how this relationship with Jesus will impact them in the future, bring peace in their lives in the future. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled why were their hearts troubled? Well, you think of the context of chapter 14. They're in the upper room, and, and Jesus uh, is, is 
telling them that he's about to die. Uh, and Peter has this whole episode uh, where he's like claiming that he's, he's in it in, uh, no matter what. No, actually, you're going to deny that you know me. And, and Judas does this. There's all this stuff happening. And, and it was unsettling. It's an unsettling moment. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you, I am going to prepare a place for you. Where? Well, in heaven. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. In heaven. And you know the way to where I am going. And again, here's one of those sheep moments when Thomas says, uh, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? So Jesus patiently clarifies and says one of the most famous verses in Scripture. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one goes to the Father except through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus describes this, uh, this future peace for those who trust in Him. And it's certainly exciting, this, this, uh, this hope, this promise that we have of a home in heaven prepared by Jesus for us who trust in Him as our Lord and as our Savior. There's future peace waiting for us for all of eternity. That sounds awesome. But later in this same chapter, in this same conversation, Jesus talks about peace now. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, he says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, well, who's the advocate? Well, just in case we don't know who he's talking about, he's very clear on that. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything, remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift. Well, what's the gift? The gift is peace. It's not just this future hope of peace. He's leaving them in the here and now with a gift of peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, and the peace that I give. So this gift of peace that, that Jesus gives to us for the now, it's, a, uh, it's the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So the world can't give us the same type of peace. We're not going to find this gift anywhere else but from Jesus. And he goes back and he repeats what he said at the beginning of this whole conversation. He said, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. He's going away, but he's, he's leaving us this gift of peace. Later on in chapter 16, he talks about this peace again. And he says, the peace I'm giving you, it's not like what the world's trying to offer you. His peace is different. His peace that he gives us is, is divine, and, and his peace is supernatural. The peace the world can't understand. And this peace that Jesus promises is, is for now, not, not just when he returns and puts an end to war, puts an end to sin, not just when we die and get to go to heaven, but peace in our lives right now. And we find this peace in this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. My, my son has been dating a farmer's daughter for quite some time now. And we love her. She's great. 
And what I've noticed, uh, just as we're around her more and, and have a little more interaction with their actual farm, their uh, dairy farmers, and, and she also she raises goats. And what I'm noticing as I'm around their family more is I, we live, there's farms everywhere here in the cove, right? We, we live in a farming environment, but I, I'm discovering I don't really know farm life like a farmer knows farm life. And so I'm, I'm learning uh, different types of cows. Uh, you know, there's not just the black and white ones that you get milk from. You know, there's other types of cows, and they have names. And, and uh, there's different types of goats. And I'm, I'm learning uh, where not to step when you're around cows and goats. There's certain places you need to not step. I think about... My, I thought I understood farm or farm life because of where we live, but uh, then it makes me think maybe about the shepherd-sheep relationship. Most of us, I think, would say we've, we have a better understanding of farm life than maybe someone from the city who's never seen an actual live cow or an actual live goat, but we don't really understand farm life the way a farmer does. Does that make sense? who lives in it every day and has uh, just a, a deeper understanding of that relationship. And I think the same thing is true with this idea of Jesus as the shepherd and, and, and we're the sheep. We don't, we don't really appreciate the deep meaning of this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep like an actual shepherd would. It's nothing bad against us. It's just not the world that we live in. But I think that David painted the most the most vivid, beautiful picture of that relationship in Psalm 23. Would you turn there in Psalm 23? We're, we're not going to fully appreciate this because we're not shepherds. But this is, a beautiful, this is probably as close as we can get, and it's vivid, and it's wonderful and beautiful. And as we read it, I want you to remember that before David was a great warrior who defeated Goliath, before David was king... David was what? He was a shepherd. And so he's painting this picture for us of the relationship between a good shepherd and his sheep from his own personal experience. Psalm 23 starts off with this simple phrase, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's interesting. David's the shepherd, right? Uh, David, David, by trade, when he was young, he was, he was a shepherd. But here, he's defining his relationship with God by calling God his shepherd, by putting himself in the place of the sheep. And that is very, very important. I don't want you to gloss over that. Because if we want the peace that the good shepherd provides... We have to be one of his sheep. We have to put ourselves in the place of a sheep who needs a good shepherd and look to Jesus as that shepherd. See, if you go through life and you want to be your own boss, you want to be your own shepherd, or maybe you want to be a sheep without a shepherd, if that's how you want to go through life, you're not going to get to experience the peace that comes from the shepherd-sheep relationship with Jesus. You will forfeit that. And so I ask you, I, 
I don't, I don't see your life every day. I don't know the ins and outs of, of, of all of your lives, so I'm just going to ask you to look at your own life right now. If, if you have no peace in your life right now or not the kind of peace in your heart that you wish you would have, this is the first place you should look for the problem. Are you willing to see yourself as the sheep in need of a good shepherd? Because if you're not willing to do that, if you, if you can't have the, the humility to be able to place yourself into that position of relationship with Christ, you will forfeit that peace that comes from that relationship. And this idea of putting ourselves in position of the, the sheep really shouldn't be hard. I know sometimes pride gets in the way of a lot of things. But if we look at our lives honestly, we do, we, we, we say dumb things a lot. We have the same argument with our spouse or with our parents' students that we already had and thought resolved five times already. Didn't we just have this conversation? I'm pretty sure we did. We can be stubborn, we can be prideful, even when it's very obvious we're in the wrong, even when it's obvious that we have wandered far away from where we should be, well, that's someone else's fault, or we, we rationalize it, we do dumb things. We make the same mistake over and over. How about this? We, we, we know, it's probably not a, a shock to any of us to say we, we really should keep control or better control of our spending at Christmas. Right? Every year, probably around Thanksgiving or maybe even before, you remind yourself, I'm not going to overspend this year at Christmas. Then the bill comes in January, reminding us of our failure. We make New Year's resolutions, and statistically, only 10% of people who even make them, like only half of America makes one in the first place, and out of those, only 10% actually keep them or follow through. We need help. We need help figuring out what to do next and where to go and how to do it. And if we're not willing to see ourselves as the sheep in need of the shepherd, we're in trouble. We're not going to experience peace that comes from that relationship with the good shepherd. And that then takes us to another really important question. Who is your shepherd? Who are you following? You think back to that, that image in, in, uh, in, in John when, when Jesus was talking about the bad shepherd. Who, who, are you, who are you following? Who are you trusting? Are you following some politician? Some athlete? Some, some celebrity? Some social uh, media influencer? If we put our faith and trust in someone other, including ourselves, other than the good shepherd, any, any other shepherd besides Jesus, if we are following anyone besides Jesus, we're headed towards trouble. There is no other shepherd who is more trustworthy than Jesus. There's no other shepherd who loves you more than Jesus. There is no other shepherd who is willing to lay his life down the way Jesus is for you. He 
He's the only one who deserves the title Good Shepherd. And if you're missing peace in your life right now, look to see who you're following. If, if it's not the Good Shepherd, you probably found the problem. The Lord is my shepherd. Is that true? Is that true for you? The Lord is my shepherd. Okay. If we can say the Lord is my shepherd, look what comes after the comma. I shall not be in want. I have all that I need. That relationship between us, the sheep, and the good shepherd provides all that we need. He takes care of our needs. Now, just to clarify, not every selfish desire, that's not what that means. That wouldn't be good for us but all of our needs, all that we really need in life, including the peace that we need. Listen, listen to the, the beauty of this relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep. Listen to this. He, he lets me rest in the green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, now you might have the phrase, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Even, even when we're not where we should be. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What a vivid and beautiful picture of this relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep. My, my favorite, the thing that my heart is drawn to the most is this image that He is with us. All these places that are described here, He's, He's with us. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. We don't have to be, feel alone. We don't have to feel fear when we face death because He's with us. He prepares good things for us. He protects us even when our enemies are trying to destroy us. He, he leads us to peaceful places with His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His favor, this, this overflowing blessing in our lives. He removes fear from our hearts so that we can, we can rest knowing that He's watching over us. That's one thing about sheep that I learned from studying this passage is that that sheep, uh, sheep are skittish, they're fearful. And so if you, if you find a sheep that is resting, that is laying down and resting, that only happens if they are confident that the shepherd is watching over them. He provides refreshment for our souls. When, when life drains us, he provides the refreshment that we need. This is how the good shepherd brings brings peace into our imperfect lives. Even though the, the, the chaos and, and, and the tension and, and, and the fighting and the stress and the fear, all that stuff is, 
swirling around us, we can have confidence to lie down and rest because we know that Jesus is with us. He is watching over us. He's taking care of us and protecting us and, and leading us through dark places to the other side where there are safe pastures and still waters that will refresh us, not, not sweep us down towards a, a raging waterfall. Jesus, the good shepherd, provides all that we need, and he does it in a way that is good for us. Because he loves us. He is with us. That's why that passage in Philippians chapter 4 that many of us uh, go to whenever we're fearing, uh, feeling fearful or we, we have anxious thoughts, oftentimes we'll go to Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7 as, as this reassuring promise. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the challenge is don't worry about anything. Well, that sometimes happens in life where something will take place or something doesn't take place. Something gets turned upside down. There's stress, uh, a stressful situation. We're in it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, which puts our hearts in a position of the sheep in relationship to the shepherd. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for always done. And when we do this, you will experience God's peace, which apparently is different than whatever it is the world is offering us. How so? It exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's the picture of the relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep. This powerful promise to give us a, a, a type of peace, a form of peace that the world cannot offer. It is supernatural. It is divinely powerful. This, this tranquility, this, this freedom from anxious and unsettling thoughts and emotions, it comes from this relationship with the Good Shepherd. I don't know what your morning was like before you got here. I don't know what your week was like over this past week. Maybe this past week, maybe even this morning was anything but peaceful. And I don't know if there's turmoil swirling around in your family, in your life, in your heart. Maybe there is something that is, that is attacking and trying to rob your heart and mind of peace, even in this moment. But here's what I do know. I do know that the good shepherd provides peace in an unpeaceful world. Did you hear that? I absolutely know the good shepherd provides peace in an unpeaceful world. If we are willing to see ourselves as sheep, which we are, who need a shepherd, which we do, and we trust Jesus as our good shepherd, not just for salvation from sin and from hell, but for everyday life, here's what will happen. We will experience the peace that the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 46. Listen to this picture of peace. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The earth could give way. The mountains could fall into the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. So be still 
and know that He is God. The Lord Almighty is with us. Guys, the Good Shepherd is with us. The question I think we need to finish with then is this. The heart of all of this, the challenge is to figure out who you're following. Who are you following? Where are you looking for peace? When you need peace in your mind, in your heart, where do you look? Where do you go? If you've been following a bad shepherd, if you've been looking in the wrong places, you can change that today because Jesus is at the gate and he's inviting you into the sheep pen. He's inviting you to trust him as your good shepherd. I love that Jesus didn't describe himself as a cowboy. He didn't. What's a cowboy do? A cowboy forces the cattle into the barn. If you've seen, I, I've not experienced that. I can't ride a horse. I don't know how to do that. But I've seen on TV where the cowboy will get on the horse and they will force the cattle into the pen. They'll force the cattle into the barn. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't describe himself as a cowboy. He describes himself as a good shepherd at the gate, inviting you into the safety of his loving care, inviting you to trust him as your good shepherd who laid his life down for you. He laid his life down on the cross so that you could be made right with God. He's inviting you to trust him as your good shepherd, and he promises that he will lead you through whatever dark valley you have to walk through in life. He'll walk with you. And he's going to lead you to peaceful pastures on the other side. He's going to lead you to quiet streams of refreshments because he loves you. A place of confidence and courage and rest. A place of peace. I know, I know the good shepherd provides peace in an unpeaceful world. We just have to decide who we're going to follow.